When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With the fourth pick in the NFL draft, the New York Jets select... Evan Neal is just different. Kyle in the Jets fans, draft fans, this is our time. The NFL season is over. The Jets don't win in the NFL season. It takes them like three years to win 15 games. This is where we shine. This is where we stack titles, the offseason. Because the Jets can't lose in the offseason. The only win in the offseason. Now they got the cap space and the picks to prove it. And this is what draft season's for. You know, to just stack another W and then the Jets maybe will win six games next year. Maybe less, maybe more. Who knows? But the eternal optimist, Joe, how are you? Is that how you view me, Meeks? I love that. I feel like you're one of the more optimistic guys on this podcast. I truly oh, do believe Thank that. you very much. That warms my heart. You know, Meeks, this is, I think, episode 16. It's been a blast so far doing all this stuff with you guys. But the one thing I noticed is that we never ask you how you're doing. How are you doing, Michael? I'm actually doing fantastic. Yeah, I just had a bunch of sushi. Feel great, you know? Great food. Shout out Delicious. to them. Shout out them. All right, Dylan, I know, I know, first season on the pod. Now, this is where... It's where the money's made. There's no more games to talk about. It's just prospects, free agencies about a month away. What are you most excited about for this and this upcoming offseason? Yeah, it feels like the rookie stripes are starting to uh, burn off a little bit. The uh, the ease you guys put on, even if that was anything, when Joe came at me for the Aquanu takes like week two of being on this pod, but uh, which he's he's seemingly been right so far in the pre draft evaluations. But um, I I think the rookie stripes are burning off, and now we're getting into the nitty gritty of this offseason. This is the time, you know, February to. August where it's great being a Jets fan. You know, this is when this franchise is great for my mental health. You know, they don't drive me to need a vice or anything. That's not football. So I I'm happy right now. You know, this is when I feel like I'm going to be optimistic, but a little harsh on the way this team's going to navigate some things. Cause I'm sure there's going to be some decisions we don't like, but ultimately, you know, now I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. We're not the, uh, we're not the worst team in football and that's gotta be something. Exactly. Draft season did not start with the Jets on the clock, and there's actually two teams even between them and that. So baby steps, baby steps. James, 
Um, I know you're going to be littering us with all the studies that you've been saving up this offseason. So what are you most excited to uh, drop to our listeners in the coming months? Uh, I don't know. I think I got to keep the secret, keep them in suspense. But uh, I'm excited for today's episode. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? So now the Jets haven't been a playoff team uh, since 2010. So it's been a very long time. The Jets currently have the longest active drought in the NFL by over five years. Yes, it is that embarrassing. And they expanded the pay- playoff field and they still haven't sniffed it. So we thought we'd look at the teams that actually win games that are actually in the playoffs and look about how they built their team and how they got there and try to find the stuff that we like and maybe that the Jets could incorporate in their team building strategy. Joe, I know you, there are teams, you know, you love the Jets, but you got to watch other teams. You got to watch how good football is played. So you know what the Jets got to strive to. So who's a team that caught your eye this year that you would like the Jets to follow suit in some way? When it comes to these playoff teams, I think there are some strategies I found interesting. For instance, I like how the Rams aren't afraid to make trades and use draft picks to make their team better or even understanding when to move on from a quarterback like Jared Goff, who was limiting them schematically. The Bengals strategy of buying their defense and free agency and drafting offense is very appealing to me too. Of course, their lack of focus on that offensive line really hurt them throughout the playoffs and especially in the closing moments of the Super Bowl. But if we're talking this year's playoffs specifically and how it relates to the Jets, I'm leaning towards the 49ers and how they built that offense around Jimmy Garoppolo. First, they paid close attention to building the offensive line, either through the draft, free agency, or via trade. Regardless of how they did it, they had four first-round picks on the offensive line to start the season until Mike McGlinchey got hurt. Now, I'm not saying you need four first-round picks, but obviously the Niners care about having good players up front, that's for sure especially with an average quarterback and an offense predicated on running the ball. And they were ranked third overall this season, which I think went a long way towards their success. Secondly, there is one particular strategy I like that I really want to focus on today. I'm talking about bully ball, Michael Megan. I love how they built that offense around physical receivers and tight ends, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, who is ridiculous, Brandon Ayuk, and even Jawan Jennings. And in general, I really like the approach of bringing in physical playmakers who can block and do special things with the ball in their hands. I also love how Elijah Mitchell complements the physical nature of that team and kills people with his speed. It's why I'd love to add a running back like Raheem Mostert, who James recommended, or drafting guys like Jerome Ford or another speedster. But I also recognize the allure of bringing in a thumper who can add just another element of physicality to the whole picture in the run game. Regardless, It's all about that bully ball and imposing your will on the opposing defense. That's why I'm leaning towards guys like Drake London and Traylon Burks over some of the smaller, less physical wide receiver prospects in the draft. Although I will say that Garrett Wilson has a little more physicality to his game than some are giving him credit for. And I could see him fitting that mold as well. Just not like Burks or London. But overall, the way the 49ers surrounded Jimmy G with strong physical players, who can wear a defense down with physical toughness, but also do serious damage with the ball in their hands and get those yards after catch, I think that's the way to go. Despite Jimmy G being one of the more mediocre quarterbacks in the league, the 49ers were ranked fifth in passing DVOA this year because of that. These physical offensive linemen and physical yak monsters really get both the run and pass game going. And again, 
I'm looking for that bully ball. I think that's a potential recipe to success for the Jets team right now. And why I absolutely loved Connor Rogers' recent mock of Aquano and Burks. I'd pick four and 10. So yeah, I like the way the 49ers are going about it. And I think that's the perfect team to emulate given the current circumstances with the young and developing quarterback. And in case you didn't realize, the key word in the spiel, Michael, was physical. So listen, let's get physical. That's what I want for this team and Zach Wilson, for sure. Yeah, no, you basically gave me an excuse to talk about uh, the man that I uh, throw up the prayers to when I uh, sit by my bed every night, and that's Kyle Shanahan, who I believe is the best offensive mind in the NFL, who people who said shouldn't be a head coach wasn't good compared tried to say that he was this generation's North Turner. I remember those tweets. I haven't forgotten. Kyle Shanahan built an offense independent of a quarterback where he can drop any quarterback he wants and the machine still goes. And doing that in today's NFL, I think, is one of the most impressive feats because of how important that position is. And I'm very, very happy you brought them to the table. Dylan, I know like Joe talked about like five teams there and then talked about the Niners. So maybe he stole your thunder a little bit. But what team are you looking to uh, model uh, the season after uh, in the play for the playoffs? So I think the in a way, the way we kind of shot ourselves in the foot with this segment is we're going to have the retreads. We're going to end up saying the same things. It's not like one of us is going to come on here and be like, you know who we need to build like the Houston Texans. Like, obviously that's not going to be what we're going to say here. So I'm going to end up reiterating some of what Joe said, but for me, I, I like to think back to basketball. So I'm going to go to the the Los Angeles Lakers here. Actually, I'm a big Lakers fan. Um, I grew up with this team and my entire life, weird. I'm from New York. I know Joe's making a face, but I kind of became a Laker fan at the wrong time. You know, Kobe Bryant was near the end of his days, and I had to watch the Robert Sacre era Lakers with a bunch of really bad players, didn't really make an out of noise, kind of like the New York Jets. And then, you know, you get a lot of young homegrown pieces, and they trade them all, and LeBron takes over the team. But a big reason I've kind of lost my love for the Los Angeles Lakers is because they traded away everybody and got away from that homegrown mentality. So I'm a big homegrown guy. I'm a big, I like the team that I get attached to, that I grow with. And I think that's something that you see with the Cincinnati Bengals, the team that was just in the Super Bowl. You see that offensive side of the ball, and that's more I'm going to kind of dial in here. I'm going to look for a middle ground of what the Cincinnati Bengals have done and what the Buffalo Bills have done in terms of roster management, because I feel like, in my opinion, that's the blueprint in how to win in today's game. Obviously, with the personnel side of things, I think that's more where Joe kind of hit on what the Jets should look for in terms of schematic fit and what this coaching staff looks for. But in terms of pure roster management, I know you mentioned, you know, the Rams being ballsy and willing to trade. I think you see some semblance of that with the Buffalo Bills. I think with the way they have went out and got the guys that they needed you see Stefan Diggs is obviously the most notable one but even Cole Beasley uh, he's played a crucial role in that offense and he's been a key safety net for Josh Allen throughout his development and having that kind of piece obviously crucial not saying that's the way this receiving core was going to get built and then you see Gabriel Davis who exploded in the playoffs big bodied receiver now I'm not saying any of these archetypes are what the Jets need to look for but a receiver but I'm saying that veteran presence and then you have the big name and then you have the young physical guy I'm saying more about 
the fact that this team went out and free agency got a guy. They went in the draft and got a guy, and they trade traded and made a big move for a guy. And if you look at the offensive line, these are guys they've developed in Spencer Brown, Deion Dawkins, and then there's a mix of guys like Mitch Morse, who they went out and signed, Feliciano, Daryl Williams, guys who played key roles in that playoff run. And then with the Cincinnati Bengals, you see the opposite. You see the homegrown from the roots offensive side of the ball, and then defensive, they went out and spent. And then with the Bills, that defense is pretty much purely from the ground up that they've built up through the past few years. So I obviously would lean towards that being a mesh where you look for a team and look for Joe Douglas to swing big and not be afraid to back down and just trade for picks. Look for him to go out and actually make a trade for a guy like a Calvin Ridley or a guy who can become a legitimate weapon for Zach Wilson and not a guy that we're going to have to wait four or five years to pan out. Let's give Zach Wilson the best chance right now. Who knows what's going to happen with Drake London's ankle or with Garrett Wilson when he gets to the pros or with Chris Olave when they ultimately decide to pick him instead of Jahan Dotson and, you know, regret it for the next five years. But I, I really believe the best middle ground this New York Jets team could do is to look to build a defense and offense in a way where it's homegrown and then not be afraid to be ballsy and take a big swing. And that's been the biggest thing I think the Jets have lacked is they've traded away their good players for picks and not necessarily built from the ground up, given the guys time to develop, but also surrounded them with the right pieces. They've tried to do it one way or the other. Let's get a mesh. Let's get a middle ground going. It doesn't have to be so black and white. And that would be the way I'd build this roster. And that'd be my draft strategy as well. No, Dylan, I completely agree. There's no one way to do this. There's, I think that couldn't be more evident with this playoffs about how the different uh, approaches we've seen from each team and that there is no blueprint to follow. Like, I would love to be the Buffalo Bills and do what they did, but like Josh Allen's a superstar and they did a lot of things to help him get there. But there are different ways where, you mean, Joe Burrow, took a Cincinnati Bengals team that I don't think anyone think was getting Super Bowl in the second year. And the Rams did everything they could to have this small window to get to the Super Bowl. And I think, like, you know, if they didn't, they would deem that as a failure. So I think the Jets do have to find that middle ground and that balance. And they actually need to take some risks because you can't keep kicking the can down the road with talking about picks far off in the future. And then you just never be good because that's how players get players get sick of that culture. And that's how coaches and execs get fired. James, um, I feel like I'm like uh, Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn and Wedding Crasher sometimes on this podcast where I got to mediate your and Joe's debates. And I feel like I have to see another one coming, and I know you got something important to say, so let me hear it. Well, I just wanted to make two points. Um, the first is in response to what Joe said about the 49ers offensive line. Um, saying that the 49ers have four first-round picks on the offensive line, I believe overstates the level of investment that they've made. Um Two of those players are good players. Um, the other two first-round picks, Alex Mack, who's 33 years old and is working for $5 million a year, uh, and Lakin Tomlinson, who was basically a bust as a first-round pick and is now on a $6 million a year contract. Um, sure, they're fine players, but I think stating that there are four first-round picks on the offensive line gives the false impression that there has been massive financial investment there when there has been, I would say, above average, not like incredible investment there. Um, the other point I just want to say is, and I think it, um, it does get lost in the conversation that like what matters more than everything else combined multiplied by a hundred is the quarterback. And that, I mean, I think we saw it firsthand with the Bengals 
that offense is not very good in terms of players. They have Jamar Chase, who they basically throw jump balls to, who's incredible. T. Higgins is a very good receiver. Everybody outside of that is pretty much ranging from solidly above average to very far below average. And I think the biggest sort of thing to keep an eye on is that, like, what Zach Wilson does is going to be the biggest determinant in whether this team-building process works out. What I will say as a reason for optimism, though, is that I think continuity in terms of the offense is a really underrated aspect of you know, reason for optimism. The fact that he's not having to learn new terminology and that he can just spend this entire offseason like going through the playbook, like going through all the three-step drop, five-step drop, play action, movement passes, and just be visualizing it against like every single coverage with every single formation, like just really honing in on the mental side of the game. Um, and so I, I would say those are the, t- the two points I wanted to make. As far as the offensive line goes and their investment in the guys up front and not really spending a lot of money, that doesn't really, I mean, what does it matter how much money they spent on? They're good players. That was the kind of the point I was trying to make. And specifically bringing in somebody like Alex Mack or the originally brought in Weston Richburg, they're really focused on, you know, fixing that interior because you really can't run outside zone effectively unless you have a good center. That's why they brought in Weston Richburg. That's why they brought in Alex Mack. That's why I think the Linderbaum fans out there should be a little happy because I think that Joe Douglas knows that for sure. And adding him to this team, I think, would be just a, a huge get and definitely you know, take this offensive zone or this outside zone scheme to another level. Um, but I was just saying you need to have a good offensive line, especially when you have a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, there, we could say a lot of things you know, about, and I think you mentioned it, obviously – the best overall draft strategy is drafting an elite level quarterback. And I hope Zach is one day because that allows you to build a team in multiple ways. But when you have a quarterback like Jimmy G or a young quarterback like Zach that you can win with as opposed to because of, and let's be real, Zach right now is the kind of quarterback you can potentially win with and not because of that's just the truth. And in this situation, there is really only one formula concentrating on building a top tier offensive line, rushing game and defense. And that's why I brought up that bit. And yeah, I mean, you might not, I guess, appreciate the way they put it together, but these guys were all first round draft picks. These guys are all good players. Tomlinson is an underrated guard in the league, by the way. I know he's making like five or $6 million a year, but he does, you know, he does the job. And listen, this is exactly what Joe Douglas did with the Eagles in 2017. It's what the 49ers did back in 2019 when, when they went to the Super Bowl and what they did this year to get back to the NFC Championship. I think this is the clear path to a playoff caliber team. You know, this year, their offensive line was ranked, like, again, third overall. They were fifth in rushing DVOA and they were ranked seventh in defensive DVOA. And listen, again, with an average quarterback like Jimmy G that, uh, that almost got them back to the show. I think that speaks volumes as to what direction the Jets really need to go. And that is very much about building that offensive line, you know, with good players. And if they have to take a guy in the first round to do that, like a Quanu, more power to them, man. I think that that's the right course of action for sure. Let me just get in here real quick, me, because I, I won't take up much time. I just want to say that I do think it's a verbal sleight of hand to say they invested for four first round picks because that creates the impression that they have this elite level offensive line of four elite starters. That's not the case. They have one elite starter. They have one above average starter. The rest of the guys are like, okay. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But I was saying they were willing to make the investment. Before they had had Trent Williams, before they had Trent Williams, they had Joe Staley, a first-round draft pick. They drafted Mike McClinchy in the top 10. Right, they made a trade for Lake and Tomlinson, another first round pick. They brought in Weston Fuller, Richard, first round pick, second round not pick, but a very good center in the league. They brought in Alex Mack, who was a former first round pick, who definitely did like a lot for that offense this year, especially in the playoffs. The other guys, like Compton, who had a decent year when McClinchy got hurt, was buns, buns in yeah, the Tommy playoffs. Compton's terrible. And so was that right Was it Brunskill or we could call? Oh him yeah, he's not good either. Yeah, was it? Is it Bunskill? Yeah, Bunskill. That's his name, right? I mean, so the offensive line, James, regardless of like, I'm not trying to like fool people into thinking you got to take first round draft picks. What I'm saying is they have good players. And as a result of having those good players, they had the third ranked overall offensive line this year. All right, guys, I want to talk. I I, want to transition to, I think, a topic that's been going around on NFL Twitter about offensive line play. And I think James has been weary about investing another first round pick in offensive line play because he does think it's a bit of overkill, I'd say. And I think that a lot of people have been finding, getting to this point where it's not about how good the best player on your offensive line is. It's about how good the worst player is. Because you can have an offensive line that has three elite players, and if two guys are bad, a defensive line, in theory, is going to know the weak points. And if you have an offensive line with one elite player with four solid to above average starters, that can be a potentially elite unit because there isn't a pressure point that teams are just going to spam. Like we saw with a team like the Niners when Mike McGlinchey went out and there's Tom Compton and obviously the guy you talked about in Brunskill where that right side of the line got absolutely cooked against the Rams and also the Packers where Sean Gary had a field day. So my thing that I want to focus on the Jets with building their offensive line, GVR is an untenable football player. If he's playing right guard for you, yeah, that's never going to work. You're always going to be a weak point, and you're never going to reach the ceiling of what you can become. And the doctor, LVT, came in, was better, but I still don't think he is. If your offensive line is going to be a really good one, I don't think he can be the worst player on your offensive line. I think the Jets, whichever way they do this, should be trying to get to the point where Connor McGovern is the worst member of the Jets offensive line, because if that's the case, I think they can have a really good one. And I don't think you need to be investing high level assets to get that. And I think that's a very reasonable goal. 
And I want to hear what all your thoughts are about that strategy. Joe, I'll start with you. No, you can go with James. I'm curious what he has to say about it. Oh. Uh, I actually want to toss it to Dylan. I want to hear him. <laughs> you guys are so annoying. If we're going to keep playing hot potato, I'll throw it back to Meigs. But <laughs> I think uh, I think for me, I fall more into probably leaning on Joe's side in this regard. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we need to spend four first-round picks on the offensive line or even target four former first-round picks. But I'm going to look at you and say that the offensive line did not play up to the caliber it needs to this year to protect Zach Wilson. And I think in the last two Super Bowls, we've seen on the brightest stage that if you fail to invest in the offensive line, you're not going to be successful. And yes, you can safety, you can protect that with some above average or average offensive line play against shitty teams throughout the season. But ultimately when the bright lights are on and you're up against a tough competition, you're going to falter regardless of if your weakest point is Isaiah Prince or Zach Martin, who obviously if the, you're blessed to have Zach Martin. The rest of your team's probably pretty damn good. But if your team can't cut it, if your offensive line can't cut it as a unit, that's going to be the ultimate thing. And good players elevate shitty units. And in my opinion, I I would utilize a first-round pick on the offensive lineman this year. And I don't know if that's something that you, James, or you, Meigs, disagree with. But I, I would go first-round pick on offensive lineman. Also, not even be afraid to sign somebody in free agency or utilize a second one of the two second-rounders. I wouldn't be mad about double-dipping an offensive lineman because you did just mention in your own case that – I mean, if Greg Van Rotten or Roten or the doctor are on our offensive line again, that's not going to bode very well for Zach Wilson and his longevity as a New York Jet. So why not just go all in? I just kind of mentioned this with the roster management thing, but the New York Jets just try these half-ass rebuilds and half swipes at rebuilding an offensive line or half swipes at a position group, go all in for a change, at least have one thing on your roster, be stable. And why not make that one of the most important units, if not the most important unit to control the game of football. And that, in my opinion, would be the offensive line. So going hard on the offensive line and going with Linderbaum or Aquanu or double dipping on two top five offensive linemen in this class is not going to make me mad any day of the week. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it. When you have a quarterback who's young and developing or just an average guy in general, um, you really need that offensive line to be stout and you really need to develop that running game. You look at the Titans when they got to the 2019 AFC Championship, they had a very good offensive line with guys like Luan and Jack Conklin, two first round picks at the tackle spot. You know, you look at um, even the Browns. Baker Mayfield's rookie year, he breaks the rookie record for passing touchdowns. They trade Kevin Zeitler. All of a sudden that offensive line breaks down, right? They completely regressed. Everybody gets fired. That year they had Miles Garrett. Odell had over a thousand yards, but they didn't have the same offensive line. They went from like ranked the first ranked offensive line all the way to about 23rd, right? The next year, what do they do? They get Jedrick Wills. They get Jack Conklin. And they have the number three rushing attack and their number one ranked offensive line again in route to making the playoffs for the first time in about a hundred years. I mean, this is the way you do it when you have quarterbacks like that. It's, you're not going to win anything. Even if you go back all the way to what, the Seahawks did with Russell Wilson before he was Russell Wilson. That team was the Legion of Doom and beast mode, you know, running the ball down people's throat. I mean, this is the recipe. And like I mentioned, it's the same thing that Joe Douglas did in Philadelphia. Had the number one ranked offensive line that year. They had the number fifth ranked uh, defense as far as DVOA goes. And the number three ranked rushing attack. They won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. You know, we don't have Patrick Mahomes. We don't have Joe Burrow for that matter. You know, we don't have Matt Stafford. We have Zach Wilson. There's one way to support this kid. Dominant offensive line, dominant defense, dominant rushing game. That's it. That is the formula. That's the only formula that's actually been successful 
when you have a quarterback of that caliber. If he turns out to be elite, yes, there's multiple ways to go about doing this, but he's not elite. And I, I don't think he's going to be elite next year. And I think to expect him to take that leap next year is kind of being a little naive. So until that happens, you got to support him. You got to protect him. And that's with building a really good offensive line. I mean, that's how I see it. James, you really look like you've got something to say. So I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah. Uh, first thing I would say is, I mean, I kind of like how, or kind of dislike how in many of these conversations, I'm the one who's advocating against taking offensive linemen early because I'm actually a big believer in the importance of the offensive line as a unit. Um, I think there's a big difference between saying that you don't want to take one in the first round and saying that it shouldn't be a, a priority group. Um, I think we've seen a lot of second round and later offensive linemen drafted who become really good, especially on the interior. I would say, okay, some other disparate points. Number one, I think the two examples Joe brought up don't really align with this point. I think the Titans had a pretty equivalent offensive line when they were, when they were in the playoffs with Conklin and Taylor Lawan. Look at the interior. They had Nate uh, Davis, who was a third-round pick starting at right guard. They had a free agent signing at left guard, and then their center was pretty mid. Um, so I feel like that's a pretty equivalent offensive line to the one that we have. To your point about the Browns, Baker Mayfield had his best year when they had a trash offensive line. When the offensive line got good, he actually regressed. Now, that's definitely not something you would want to extrapolate to, like, other cases, but – I would argue that the Browns case of 2018 doesn't really fit Wait, in. What do, you, what do you hold on a second, Jay? What are you talking about? When they traded Kevin Zeitler, that Browns offensive line went to crap and everybody got fired. Freddie Kitchens, Baker Mayfield regressed that next year. They revamped it with Conklin and Jedrick Wills. And they had the best offensive line in the league this year. They had injuries to Wills and also to Conklin. They regressed. There's still, I think, probably much a top 10 unit, but Baker was hurt as well. And they kind of fell, you know, back to the scrap heap again. So I, that's that's not uh, inaccurate. Actually, it's very it's very accurate. Baker Mayfield's best season, which was his rookie season, came before they had Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin. Yeah, and that offensive line was ranked number one in the league that year, or number two actually. It definitely was in terms of like qualitative play. It was not like the best offensive line in the NFL. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't the best. It was the second best, actually. Said qualitatively. Well, however you want to measure it quantitatively they put up the best numbers and they were ranked number two in the league. Okay. Yeah. No, that, yeah, they still had, didn't they still, no, they didn't have Joe Thomas that year. They were I don't remember exactly who was on the line. I just remember they were very good. Look, the point is you're at, you're right. I think most like people who look at the jets offense would acknowledge that you're the point of diminishing returns on the offensive line. You have two tackles who are above, above average. Makai is good. Fant is probably around above average. You have a left guard that you just spent a first round pick on and you have a solid center. I don't see why we need to be spending a first round pick on the offensive line. You can improve the offensive line without spending the fourth or 10th overall pick on it. But James, we don't know. Fant could be an outlier and he's in his uh, final year. Connor McGovern is in the final year. Becton, we don't know what's going to happen with him. There's a lot of uncertainty there. That's why taking a player who you could slip into guard at right guard specifically, which is our weak point, and then potentially take over for one of those guys, I think is the preemptive strike that is really the smart move to make. I think that's why there are a lot of people who are in favor of it. It makes a lot of sense, not only in the short term, but also in the long term, for sure. And as far as developing prospects later in the rounds and getting like interior offensive line later, I, I fully support that. But you have to remember, we had a, a GM, Mike McCagney, who came from the Houston Texans, 
And in the 14 years that he was there, they drafted offensive line in general in the first two rounds only two times. Just to give you a glimpse into the mindset of who our former GM was. And Joe Douglas now had to come in here and pretty much start from scratch. You know, he went with Becton, he got AVT, he brought in some free agents, and he's not finished because the facts are, and I, I can't, you know, can't keep saying this over and over again, Zach Wilson's our quarterback, man. I mean, that's, those are the facts. And if you're going to win with him, spending a first-round pick at right guard, who could have, you could easily slide into the other spots, I think is really smart. Like, give me an example of a guy you can get in the second or third round who you can plug in at guard and who could seamlessly move to one of the tackle positions if one of those guys don't work out, Fant or Becton. Name me the guy. Uh, Kennard. Yeah, I don't think so, Mike. Not for me. I don't know. I think if you're looking for a guy who can play guard year one and have a chance to transition to tackle, I don't think there's there's pretty smart. has like some of the sloppiest hands. Yeah, on. but we that yeah, but, but you putting him in at guard, John Benton, his, baby, he's gonna get his ass kicked. I mean, that's my personal experience. I see him as an offensive tackle, and I think he still has work to do at that position. So I'm not feeling super comfortable with him either. But that wasn't a horrible example, but just not the one that I, I mean. I mean, I I mean, I do understand James's point. And I do think that they're like thinking that you don't want to spend a uh, want to spend a first rounder like use four and ten on an offensive lineman means you're going to ignore the position entirely because I do think that is like there there is deserves to be nuance and I know Dylan is dying to get a point in here so I'm going to let him go in that regard. So I feel kind of bad in a way. Maybe it's the age thing that I kind of like went against James in the regard of the we need to make this unit great. But I also kind of agree with some respects of what you kind of said, James. And it kind of plays into or maybe even against your point earlier, Joe, about the San Francisco 49ers and the Tennessee Titans. But if you look at the Tennessee Titans model, you look at Jack Conklin and you look at Taylor Luan from that team. And of course, Jack Conklin goes rounds, whatnot. But if you look at the New York Jets as the what could have been with the Tennessee Titans had they had everybody together. Together. You keep your two first round guys. So in this case, Mackay Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, and then you throw in a big name free agent. And why not go for a sure for somebody like that, who we know this team has loved sure for so long and missed out every single time. It's the forbidden love and go with like how they went with Saffold and utilize the or build the line that way rather than go through the fourth round pick or, or the fourth pick or the 10th pick. So I do kind of agree with James in that respect where if, if we get to a point where we continue to use premium picks on the offensive line year in, year out, which hopefully like this would be the last year we're having this conversation and we don't have to look into next year's draft season episodes. And this is a still continuous debate, but the offensive line can be made great through free agency as well. I'm saying premium resources in general need to be allocated to it. But that does not just mean I'm in the mentality of let's go Aquanu, let's go Linderbaum, let's go whoever's there that's the top offensive lineman at four or ten. Because if they go out in free agency and add a high level guy at that point, yeah, I mean maybe I'm not feeling the safest with Makai Becton, but run it back with Fant, Becton, Vera Tucker, and say Scherf and McGovern, and let everything sort itself out, and maybe add a mid round guy. And I'm honestly okay with going into next season trying to figure that out and trying to hope that that unit becomes something really special if they hit on a couple project guys because there are so many holes on this team that if they can make that unit good to great with a big free agent signing, utilizing draft picks on other areas isn't something. Yeah. Dylan, I, I think you do agree with me. I mean, I, when I mentioned the 49ers, I mentioned that they went through free agency, through trade, and through the draft. I would be totally down with them addressing the situation in free agency with the Sheriff, or even a James Daniels from the Bears, who's 24 years old, used to play at Iowa. 
is familiar with the system and could even slide in and play a little center. You know, and then maybe you wait till the second round or third round to bring in a developmental offensive tackle. I think uh, offensive line of Fant, AVT, McGovern, James Daniels, and Becton, if they, if they stay healthy, could be a very good unit. Mm-hmm. I think James is more saying, why don't we draft guys in the second or third round and throw them in at guard and hopefully they're good. I mean, you know, we've seen this team, you know, attempt to find later round prospects by Cam Clark and Chuma Adoga. Like, it doesn't always work out that way. I think that's why we were the people who are proponents of taking a guy in round one is that they're just more likely to hit, you know, that's, that's really all it is. You know, those guys could hit, there's definitely going to be later round prospects that end up being plug and play players, but we just don't really know who they are. If we did, they would be going in the first round. I mean, let's be real. My guy uh, Parham from Memphis is definitely going to hit same with Marquise Hayes. If the Jets are smart, they'll take them, but Marquise Marquise Hayes is the guy. Marquise Hayes is the guy. All right, guys. I want to, you know, feel like got to start winding the show down a little bit. I want to leave us on this final, final point. If the Jets, for their offense, where do you think in 2022, after whatever happens in the free agency, whatever happens in the draft with Zach Wilson, where do you think they land from a DVOA perspective? James, I'll start with you. Uh, 17th. Okay, that would be the second highest DVOA finish and since uh, they made the playoffs, being one being 2015 where they were 14th. Dylan, I'll go to you. 13th to 15th would be optimistic, so I'll go 16th just to be slightly more optimistic than James in this case. Okay, really, really prices writing James right there, Dylan. I appreciate that. And Joe, I'll, leave it, I'll go to you. Offensive DVOA? Yes, I mean, listen, if they get Aquanu, if they pick up somebody like Wilson or Drake London or, or Traylon Burks, you know, and spend heavy in free agency and get a couple of playmakers in here, I could see them being, you know, in that 15 to 16 range. Why not? Yeah. Were they, no, were, what were they? Were they like 22nd this year? Uh, they were 21st or 22nd, I believe, which was, you know, shout out to God, Michael Fleur. Really good job for a guy who got fired after week five. But, uh, I will say when the Jets, obviously Joe Douglas listened and Chad Alexander, I know they listen to this podcast. They heard me talk about Elijah Moore. They heard the draft season boys talk about Elijah Moore. That's the only reason he's on the team. When they get Lucas Patrick in free agency, when they go KT and Garrett Wilson at 10, I think they're going to be slotting in at a nice 13th with a nice eight wins and Zach Wilson having a very, very sizable jump in his sophomore year. But I unfortunately have to say goodbye to our listeners who I know love that discussion about offensive line. And I know there's definitely going to be a nice battle brewing between the Joe Hive and the James Hive. That's really yeah. just starting to shape this podcast, second, which I do appreciate. Well, Hold on a second, Meeks. I just want the listeners to know that I have a lot of love for James. I know, I know that a little aggressive and like, we definitely have a back and forth, but there's definitely, you know, there's nothing but love on the podcast. for oh. us. I hope the listeners know that regardless of like what's said yeah. during a show. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want the listeners to know that when Joe chastises me, he doesn't apologize during the show. So, you know, I just, you know, a little different, a little different. But um, I great episode as always. Make sure you're subscribed to the Turn on the Jets pod. Make sure you're uh, checking out the draft season website. I will have an article there this week about why the Cincinnati Bengals, although fell short in their Super Bowl, that adding wide receivers and cannot completely ignore the offensive line is a viable draft strategy that the Jets should be looking at in the first round. And make sure you're subscribed to Badlands, and we'll see you next week.